The reading for this morning is taken from the, the first letter of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, the verses 3 to 12, and you'll be able to find that on page 1390 of your pew Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. So far, the word of God. The text for this morning is taken from 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 7. We read there that the genuineness of your faith, in, in this you greatly rejoice, Though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, before we get into our passage, I want to ask you the question, Does your faith give you reason to rejoice? Does your faith give you reason to rejoice? In today's society, people have all kinds of reasons to rejoice when they put their faith in something. If you put your faith in the stock market, you'll rejoice when the numbers go up. If you put your faith in your ability to save money, you'll rejoice when seeing the fruit of that in watching those mortgage numbers go down. If you put your faith in a particular sports team, you'll rejoice when you see them do well in the standings, or in the case of certain teams, if they win any game at all. Or even if you, put, if you even put your trust in your family during a hard time, You'll rejoice when they come through for you. Putting trust or faith in different things results in joy when they come through for you. And for the Christian faith, this is especially true. We may have 
days when our faith wavers. We may have seasons when we feel far from God and far from passionate about our faith. But we do know that God is good. And He is faithful and generous and kind to those who seek Him. He gives us a joy that is grounded in eternity. And He lets us see the fruit of that faith already beginning today. Today we will see our passage under the following theme and points, awaiting your heavenly inheritance. And we'll see, first of all, awaiting it with a joyful faith, second, with a genuine faith, and third, with a grounded faith. Several weeks ago, those of you who are here may remember how we looked at the first two verses of Peter And we spoke about Christian pilgrims during this time. This was the position of the Christians to whom Peter was writing, if you recollect. Pilgrims not of the earthly holy city, not of the earthly Jerusalem, but pilgrims to a heavenly Jerusalem, traveling through life to a new heavens and a new earth. Today in our passage, we see Peter adding another picture to that first one. We are not only pilgrims, he says, but we are heirs. For you boys and girls who may not know, heirs are people who have a right to everything that their parents give them. In our world today, it's mostly connected with the dying of a parent. If a parent dies, then the children who are heirs are allowed to get everything from their parents, and no one can take that away. Now, in the ancient world, this had a bit of a deeper meaning. An heir had rights and privileges in the home. Today you may choose to make someone an heir and they might not even know about it until a lawyer knocks on their front door with the paperwork. But in the ancient world it was different. If you were a slave, for example, and you were made an heir, then you would be no different from a son. You were taken under the protection of their roof, given the family name and given all the rights that came with it. You became family. This is the life of a Christian as an heir in the kingdom of God. You have become part of the household of God. We're family. But we have not received our inheritance in full yet. If you're a visitor here today or someone who has not put your trust in Christ, I would ask you to walk alongside of us as we examine this passage And ask yourself, is my joy limited to this world? Can I have a joy that goes beyond this world? The Christian's answer to this is yes. But the question is, what do we rejoice in and why? Our text begins by answering this very question when it says, in this you rejoice. What is the this that they speak of? What are the Christians scattered around the world, around the Roman world, rejoicing in? The common hope of the Christian world is the inheritance that lies in store for us. It's an inheritance that we can already taste the beginnings of now. And it's with this as his foundation that Paul begins to build the structure of his letter. He's writing a letter of hope, encouraging his people in their struggles 
giving them confidence in the face of the trials that lie ahead of them. Because of this, he takes an extra special moment to focus on what they have been given. What they have been given isn't just the vague hope in view of the destination they're going to. It's something that they rejoice in now. And we can see that in the opening words of the passage as a whole. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he writes. Blessing or praise towards God is something that comes out of that joy. And this is not something that he plans to give us in the future, but it's something that we can begin to experience now. Because what he is experiencing as a Christian is something that's happening now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sometimes we have this picture of our lives as our lives being something that God kind of steps back from. We have something to look forward to, but what about now? Peter wipes out that kind of thinking with overflowing joy and the word picture that brings us back to the Gospels. God has begotten us again to a living hope. He's using language of a new birth here as the beginning of the inheritance that we're receiving. And he's drawing on something that his rabbi Jesus had said already many years before. In John 3, Jesus Christ speaks to Nicodemus saying, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Being born again is a sign of the new life that you receive in Jesus Christ. Now, this gift, this gift of being born again is a supernatural gift that those who believe in Jesus Christ have already received, says Peter. You have been begotten. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ and if you have faith in him, you who are here today are born again. You are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how we gain the assurance that we are raised to a new spiritual life for ourselves. You are born again, he writes, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. In Greek, the three words that we find here, incorruptible, undefiled, and unfading, are words that come in quick succession. They're brief, but they're pointed. And they have an incredible impact with our view to what's, what we are receiving as an inheritance. Incorruptible, first. It's imperishable. The root of that is the word to perish or to die. Everything in this world has a lifespan. Everything living or non-living is subject to the law of entropy, meaning it'll wind down and die or become corrupted, returning to dust in one way or another. But even if we ourselves die, says Peter, the inheritance that we receive will never die. It's eternal. It's undefiled. This is a word which means that it's considered ritually pure. And this highlights the preciousness of what we've been given. 
The inheritance that we receive is not just one that is eternal. And it's not just one that is considered to be beautiful or incredible by our own personal standards. But it's one that's considered pure by God's standards. That is how precious it is. Finally, it's unfading. It's unfading. It never loses quality or beauty. Some of you boys and girls may wonder, as many of you do when you are younger, you'll wonder if we'll ever get bored in heaven. This word, when it speaks of it as unfading, shows us that no, we won't. The inheritance that we get from God because of Jesus Christ will never lose its wonder. As heirs, we can look forward to a heavenly inheritance. We who are given the family name of God, we are kept from falling from this position by the power of God through faith for salvation, as verse 5 puts it. And this salvation which we already taste in part will be revealed in the fullness of the, in its fullness in the last days. Now, we see how earth time, or earthbound and time-bound things that people put their faith in give them joy. But reflect on this. This, what you have been given, does this give you joy? The knowledge of this inheritance that is incorruptible, that is unfading, does it give you joy? This was a reason for great joy to the pilgrims who are in the diaspora. The pilgrims throughout this world in Peter's day. Peter said to them, in this you greatly rejoice. Do rejoice in the same inheritance that you share with the early church through Jesus Christ. Take time to slow down and to marvel at it. And take time to learn more about it through reading God's word that you may gain a better appreciation and love for it. And this brings us to our second point. Awaiting your heavenly inheritance with a genuine faith. Now the first response that can arise almost without fail is to say, yes, well that's fine for eternity. That's fine for what's happening in the distant future. But what about now? How can I rejoice if I'm suffering now? Now, maybe we aren't facing the persecution and the opposition that these Christians who received Peter's letter are facing. But we do have our own daily struggles. We do have our own daily issues. And they're real. If God wants me to rejoice, why do I go through difficult times in my life? The answer that Peter gives his readers is brief. If it is for the sake of Christ that they struggle, then they struggle so that the genuineness of their faith may be revealed and that it may result in praise, honor, and glory for God. The picture that he uses is one of gold passing through a fire. Fire purifies and tests the metal. And the gold comes out purer at the other end. But 
He acknowledges even gold perishes. Even gold will tarnish and corrupt over time. Their faith, however, is not just much more precious, but it's also much more durable than gold. So what makes his faith so precious? What makes it precious is not just what it points to. Your faith is what ties you to Jesus Christ. It's by grace you have been saved through faith that faith is worked in your heart by the Holy Spirit. And it grants us something that we can look forward to for eternity. That in itself is of ultimate value. But that's not the only thing that makes faith precious. What makes faith even more precious is what a genuine faith produces. Because if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are in Christ, the Bible teaches us, and it is Christ who lives in you, Galatians 2 verse 20. And if Christ does live in you, this comes out in your life in very real ways. It's easy to keep up a pretense or to keep up a mask when things are going well. But when we run into true difficulties in life, That is when our true colors show. And this is why Peter brings up what trials and sufferings do for our faith. It gives us the opportunity to see, is my faith real? There are two outcomes to that question. One is of a genuine faith. And that's the one that Peter goes on to talk about. And we'll get to that in a moment. But the other one is the one that's assumed in the passage. It's the one of someone who says with their mouth that they believe, but their heart is actually godless. And we'll look at the godless heart first. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 15, such godlessness is described as a bitter root that lives within you. So where does this idea of the bitter root come from? This picture is pulled from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, verse 18. Moses talks about those whose hearts turn away from God even while they are members of the covenant and believe themselves to be secure. Such people, he says, have a bitter root in their hearts and they can cause great damage to the people who are around them. He goes on to describe them further in verse 19 of that passage in in Deuteronomy 29 by saying that such a person blesses himself in his heart, saying, I have peace, even though I follow the dictates of my own heart. This is a person who feels confident of God's security. And yet he walks in the stubbornness of his heart when it comes to certain sins in his or her life. He or she says, that's just my character. Or, yeah, well, those other people, they just shouldn't push my buttons. Their sins don't chafe. They sit comfortably in them. Their heart allows them to rest, being okay with this sin in their life. And this person says, I have peace, even though I follow what my heart says should be okay when God says it is not. Such a person's faith, says the Holy Spirit, is not genuine. But how do I know 
that that's the kind of person that I am? How can I examine myself to know if my faith is maybe false? That my confidence is maybe misplaced? A bitter root, the root of a godless heart, a bitter root produces a bitter fruit. There are few places when the fruit of the sinful flesh are more clearly outlined than in Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21. We read there, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If instead of going to war against sin, you comfortably hold on to these sins, and you bless yourself in your heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my own heart. God himself declares that your faith is not genuine and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want to highlight some of these less obvious fruits that are mentioned again for a moment. Listen to these. Hatred, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, Dissensions is an attitude that enjoys causing division between people. Envy. Beloved, examine yourselves. Are these things that you hold comfortably within your own heart? Are you okay with these sins? That should be reason for concern. That should even be reason for fear. Because God is a holy God. And he won't stand for it. Now contrast this with a genuine faith. A genuine faith is worked in a heart by the Holy Spirit himself. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3. And if the Spirit of Christ lives in you, the fruit of the Spirit comes out. And the fruit of the Spirit is what follows immediately after these works of the sinful nature, the fruit of the sinful nature that we find in Galatians 5. It comes out in verses 22 and following. We read, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. To see whether or not your faith is real. To test whether or not your faith is genuine. Examine yourself against the word of God here. Examine yourself thoroughly and ask yourself, when troubles come, what's the result? When troubles descend on me, what comes out? What's the fruit that is born? I recently heard the comparison. Your inner life is like liquid in a cup. When your arm is jostled, when someone bumps against you, what's the contents that come out? What comes out of you? Is it the fruit of the root of bitterness? Or is it the fruit 
of the Spirit. This brings us to our third point, a grounded faith. You'll notice that Peter doesn't leave his readers hanging with this question, with the question if their faith is genuine or not. Their response, he says, has spoken for itself. Even though they were grieved by various trials, the genuineness of their faith has been revealed. The fire of affliction has burned away the impurities, and what was left was beautiful, because what was left was grounded in Christ. You see, you don't arbitrarily throw gold into a fire. Gold passes through a fire because you recognize that there are impurities in the fire, in the gold. There are impurities and you're seeking to have them burned away. When we enter into suffering that God places on our path, we recognize that we are sinful. We are not perfect. We are not living the life that God desires of us perfectly. And when the cup is jostled, sin does spill out. But in the Christian life, we recognize it for what it is. The Christian doesn't just stand back and let it sit. The Christian flees to the one on whom his faith is grounded, or her faith is grounded. The Christian flees to Jesus Christ. When our sin is exposed, we come in humble repentance to the only place where we can find forgiveness. We pray that God would take away our sin for the sake of His Son. We repent and we turn away from it. And we ask that the fruit of the Spirit could show all the more clearly in our lives. And in this way, Christ's name is glorified. Christ's name is glorified because his work in our lives is real. And when we see ourselves turning from our sin and turning away from that root of bitterness and seeking to have the fruit of the Spirit come out in our lives for those around, we can know that our faith is real because we lean on Jesus Christ. We do not see him, but we love him, Peter writes because he has washed away our guilt. And his spirit, who is at work in us, bears fruit in keeping with repentance, bears fruit in keeping with new life. It's for that reason that though we do not see him, we love him. It's for that reason that though we do not see him, yet believing, we rejoice with a joy inexpressible, because we receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Verse 9 the salvation of our souls in him. And we know that at the end of days, it's on the basis of Christ's sacrifice alone that we stand. For those of you who were here last week, you may remember in the afternoon how we spoke of Christ's obedience and how we as Christians know that the only way that we can stand before God at the end of days is on the foundation of his work. I'm so thankful for the obedience of Christ We said, no hope without it. And we will see this more fully fully displayed in Christ's declaration on that last day. Having repented, turned away from everything, 
We seek Christ. We turn to him because he wants us to, and we love him. In him, we find our joy because he stands before us as our living hope even while we are in this life. He stands before us as the one through whom we can enter into the throne room of God even in this moment. He is our ultimate joy. On that last day, our heavenly inheritance will be received in full. Only for the sake of Christ. And this is the way it's always been. Only in Christ. This is the salvation that the prophets spoke about many years ago and which angels long to look into. Beloved, our faith is grounded in Christ. Where we have wandered or where we have neglected when, if we have neglected to put our faith in Christ, listen to the words written down thousands of years ago, thousands of years before Christ's coming, pointing to him. Listen to the words of our passage today that we read. Be convicted by this and turn in repentance. Let your being jostled, being put through a purifying fire, be an opportunity for the burning away of sin and for seeking your joy in Jesus Christ because he has revealed it to you. And he has given you opportunity once again to flee to him. Amen.